0: I'd like to talk about uh, public land. 70% of hunters in the West hunt on public land and managed by the federal government. Right now there's a lot of discussion about the federal government transferring those lands to states, divesting of, the, of that land. Is that something you would support
1: as president? I don't like the idea because I want to keep the lands great and you don't know what the state's going to do with them. Are they going to sell as soon as they get into a little bit of a trouble? I don't think it's something that should be solved. We, we have to be great stewards of this land. This is magnificent land and we have to be great stewards of this land, and the hunters do such a great job. I mean, the hunters and the fishermen, and all of the different people that use that land. So, I've been hearing more and more about that. And it's just like the erosion of the Second Amendment. I mean, every day you hear Hillary Clinton wants to essentially wipe out the Second Amendment. Uh, we have to protect the Second Amendment, and we have to protect our lands. The previous administration used a 100-year-old law known as the Antiquities Act to unilaterally put millions of acres of land and water under strict federal control. Have you heard about that? Eliminating the ability of the people who actually live in those states to decide how best to use that land. Today, we are putting the states back in charge. It's a big thing. I'm pleased to be joined by so many members of Congress and governors who have been waiting for this moment, including Governor Herbert of Utah. Thank you. Thank you, Governor. I also want to recognize Senator Orrin Hatch, who, believe me, he's tough. He would call me and call me and say, you got to do this. Is that right, Orrin? You didn't stop. He doesn't give up. And he's shocked that I'm doing it, but I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. But I really uh, have to point you out, you didn't stop. And Mike, the same thing. So many people feel, Mike Lee, so many people feel so strongly about this. And so I appreciate your your support and your prodding, and your never-ending prodding, I should say, because we're now getting something done that many people thought would never, ever get done. And I'm very proud to be doing it. In December of last year alone, the federal government asserted this power over 1.35 million acres of land in Utah, known as Bear's Ears. I've heard a lot about Bear's Ears, and I hear it's beautiful, over the profound objections of the citizens of Utah. The Antiquities Act does not give the federal government unlimited power to lock up millions of acres of land and water, and it's time we ended this abusive practice. I've spoken with many state and local leaders, a number of them here today, who care very much about preserving our land. That's why today I'm signing this order and directing Secretary Zinke, to end these abuses and return control to the people. people of Utah, the people of all of the states, the people of the United States.
2: Welcome to the Better Utah broadcast with Chase and Maddie from Alliance for a Better Utah. <laughs> All right, we're back this week. And uh, Chase is not here this week. Uh, so it's pretty obvious that we pre-recorded that intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's at a meeting about healthcare, And I get it. That's important, too. Uh, but we're going to continue our... Our new routine of diving into a different topic for each podcast. Now that the legislative session is over, um, so if you may recall that we've talked to Jason Stevenson about healthcare. That was a few weeks ago now, and then after that, I was out of town, and Chase wrangled our interns to come talk about young people being involved in in politics. Uh, yeah, so this week we're diving into public lands which is probably my favorite topic, if you've been listening. You can pretty much guess that. And we have a great guest. His name is Dave Pacheco, and he's from Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. So, uh, hey, Dave, how's it, how's it going?
0: Good. Thanks for inviting me.
2: Yeah, no problem. So uh, tell us about yourself, Dave.
0: Well, uh, for starters, I'm uh, a lifelong Utahan. Uh, I was uh, born and raised here in the Salt Lake Valley cool. and went up to the University of Utah. Uh, God, that yes. was back in the dark ages. <laughs> um, so uh, I started working for the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance in uh, the mid 90s. Uh, I came into SUA as a uh, grassroots organizer, as a door to door canvasser, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, going around and kind of launched that program for SUA, getting the, uh, the voice of the people on the doorsteps, uh, organizing support. Uh, finding new people to bring into the fold, um, uh, getting them active. Uh, And um, that has kind of led into my current position as a Utah grassroots organizer, where I uh, encourage people to attend rallies and Mm -hmm. events, uh, write letters, get involved, make their voice heard. Um, My duties are basically uh, as a megaphone for public lands and wild public lands in particular here in Utah. Uh, I'm not a one-man team where we have a squad of uh, people who do this, not just the legions of volunteers, but there's a a couple other staffers here uh, that also work with me. Um, Terry Martin, in particular, is my fellow grassroots organizer, uh, and we do a lot of work together. Uh, We work in, not just alone, as uh, the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, but we always work in coalition with a wide variety of groups that are both conservation-oriented, like the Sierra Club, Mm -hmm. um, but also, in the case of the current Bearsers campaign, Uh, Groups that are advocates for Native Americans, um, in particular, Utah, Dine Bakea. And um, so we we work to uh, organize and mobilize public support for uh, the BLM Wildlands. I should be careful to throw around the acronyms. It's uh, the Bureau of Land Management uh, Wildlands within the state of Utah.
2: Great. Um, I have to indulge a little bit here and just tell the story about how I met you. Uh, So my senior year at Vassar, I... Um, I was taking a social movements class, and we were tasked with writing a paper about a nonprofit. and I had seen a lawn sign, of a SUA yard sign, saying Protect Wild Utah, and um, I didn't know about SUA at that point, and so when it came time to write my paper, I remembered that lawn sign and thought, oh, I should probably write a paper about them. And so Dave was the first person I met <laughs> and the first person I talked to about SUA, and that was over two years ago now. And um, I never I never thought we would be here. So this is kind of cool. And I almost want to send this podcast back to that professor.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, you know, right after that communication, uh, you uh, were able to become an intern for our Washington, D.C. office yeah. and uh, help organize a couple of uh, citizen lobby weeks out there. And so uh, I got to say, you've You've come a long way on public lands in two years. Thanks, Dave.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's just dive right into it. Um, as you may know, people people listening, uh, Secretary Zinke came to Utah recently, and he was here for, was it four days? Mm-hmm. Four days doing a listening tour. And um, this is totally me saying this. I call it a selective hearing tour. and um, But I am just curious what what kind of preparation SUA took for that, and what, um, what you guys thought about his visit when he came for a visit to talk about Bears Ears and the monuments in general here.
0: Well, so uh, the new Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke, uh, who was appointed by uh, President Trump, um, has a, a background uh, as a representative from the state of Montana, previously a state legislator there, and prior to that as a Navy SEAL. Um, so his background is varied. Um, he, uh, is on record as being, uh, in favor of keeping public lands in public hands, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that the, uh, kind of the, the, the push for, uh, localities in some, some places across the West, uh, to, uh, wrangle the ownership of America's public lands out of the United States hands and into the state ownership. Uh, he has actually come out and uh in opposition to that movement which Mm -hmm. is a good sign um but his voting record in the u.s congress would tell us otherwise uh it's not very good in terms of conservation um and we really don't know where he's uh where his priorities lie Uh, he's still relatively new to the job he's only been on the job for a month or so um but um Upholding his uh, oath to the Utah delegation, Utah politicians like Senator Hatch and Representative Bishop uh, To come out to Utah and look into this uh, Bears Ears National Monument uh, That was proclaimed really not that long ago, just uh, at the end of December Blink of an Um, eye Yeah, really, uh, things are moving fast right now So um, we had anticipated him coming out We knew he was coming, we didn't know exactly when Uh, We got about a two-day heads-up that he was going to be here Uh... This past Sunday, that was, uh, well, I'm turning the calendar back, May 5th. No, I'm sorry, uh, May 7th. Um, So we anticipated his uh, coming to Utah by rallying citizens uh, to show him that uh, and as a popular measure, Bears Ears has a lot of public support. Uh, we did that with a, uh, a pretty big rally uh, this past Saturday up at the Utah State Capitol. Uh, we were very happy that, uh, well, it's hard to count heads, but anywhere <laughs> from 2,000 to 2,500 people came out to show their support for awesome. not just yeah, not really just cool. Bears Ears, yeah. but also Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. Mm-hmm. So um, the... Uh, uh he came out really at the behest of uh his boss, the president, uh asking that the uh, Secretary of Interior conduct a review of the monuments that have been designated in this country going back all the way to January first of nineteen ninety six. So essentially bookending <laughs> uh the all of the entirety of 27 national monuments that have been designated by presidents from both parties, mm-hmm. uh, from the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument in 1996 up to the last one that was designated, which was Bears Ears. Right. So the two Utah monuments are kind of the the, the markers for this review of, of monuments taking place that were designated all across the country.
2: That's convenient.
0: <laughs> I kind of have a question about
3: that, actually, because they say, yeah, it's in back to 1991, so is there any specific reason why he felt bold enough to go back all the way back to nineteen ninety-one but not ninety-six any, or sorry ninety-six but not any farther than ninety-six or is there any legal precedent he has to say okay well since it's ninety-six we can actually do this It's not quite thirty years forty years away Yeah. Well,
0: no it wasn't a, a legal reason that he gave in fact the legality of this whole thing is really in question um, The reason that they stopped at 1996 was so that they could encompass the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument designation. So So essentially, it was at the behest of the Utah politicians, uh, Senator Hatch, uh, Governor Herbert, the rest of the Utah delegation, uh, asking for this review to encompass Grand Staircase so that they can cut that too. Uh, If the um, Kanab City Council vote was any uh, indication of where they're going with uh, Grand Staircase, and as the Secretary's recent visit that ended yesterday uh, would seem to indicate, they're going to do the bidding of the Utah delegation uh, and fulfill that request to reduce the size of these monuments. Grand Staircase, uh, the, the county council down there in King County, and I think there's the Kanab City Council, recommended a dramatic cutback uh, from the 1.9 million acres that it currently is to 200,000 acres. So, lopping off 1.7 million acres of this monument, (laughs) um, um, which would be a tragedy.
2: Seriously. Hmm. I mean, so when you have our delegation and you have those leaders making those kinds of bold statements, you know, calling for drastic reductions in monuments, how do you, I mean, where is there any common ground for advocates? You know, I mean, I think that's kind of kind of a challenge for me, anyway.
0: Well, I think the common ground falls in the uh, economic viability of these national monuments. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just do studies show, but the economic reality is that, uh, contrary to what some of the local politicians would claim, these communities are thriving next to these monuments. Right. Canab, uh, Escalante, Boulder, uh, these are places that are seeing uh, big growth uh, locally. Uh, local, small family oriented businesses are popping up all over. Uh, they can't build homes and I can't build businesses fast enough. There's just not enough skilled labor in these mm-hmm. towns to do that. What the, so, so I think that the common ground is, is that, um, that, that we can thrive in the small communities and it's all about the local, uh, the local populations, uh, making a living and we think that they can do that with national monuments in their backyards. And the uh, really interesting economic reports come out of Headwaters Economics that that show not just in Utah but across the western United States, that's a true phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Once you have designated public uh, – protected public places, um, the the – economy starts to grow and thrive behind it the recreational economies the service industry economies that go to support the recreation and the tourism and all those sorts of um, uh, dollars that that kind of come into the area on a temporary basis need to be supported and so the infrastructure is following infrastructure in the form of accounting jobs um, in the medical and health industry fields in the Mm -hmm. services and technology fields all of those fields are thriving in these local areas, uh, as a result of the the protective designations, what you'll hear are some of the um, the more traditional um, county commissioners and uh, people who've relied on kind of an extractive industry background that that were really the the you know at one point the backbone of those economies. We're talking about uh, mineral extraction, mining, uh, oil and gas drilling, fossil fuel development ranching these sorts of things uh have traditionally been the, what has made these these communities thrive uh many of those are still there those uh, those ranching uh, you know the, the the ranching jobs are still there uh mm-hmm. when you look at grand staircase Escalante, there has been no reduction in the amount of uh animal unit months that have uh that are grazed in these monuments um yet the um the complaint is that that's no longer uh, supported. And what's really not supported is the economy of an extractive industry. Those mm-hmm. industries simply show through through time that they are boom and bust cycles. Right. And uh, whereas uh, other strategies, some of those I just outlined, are a little more um, kind of long-lasting, long-term sorts of things. And it's the difference between uh, living in a reality of the 21st century economy versus uh, – a longing for the nineteen fifties and it's it's simply the case that uh... we need to uh... look forward rather than look behind uh... it's not that the conservation community or conservationists uh... you know disrespecting or discounting in any way uh... what got us here it's simply a reality of where we need to be going and uh, a lot of these county commissioners have family that have moved on to those kinds of jobs i just described and uh, are able to go out of the communities, get those skills, and then come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not coming back for the, uh, the coal mining jobs, the timber cutting jobs that simply can't thrive in Utah.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. So I, um, as, you're, you know, as you're talking about these, this is kind of the trend that we've seen with Grand Staircase. So is that assumed, uh, is, can that be the assumption going forward with Bears Ears, too, that it'll bring... This new sort of shift in an um, in industry like the tourism industry to the San say San Juan County.
3: I was gonna say it does seem consistent that they don't really have much to complain about when it comes to the economy doing well. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I have heard them ranting and raving in the house over over the last session about how you know ranchers want to do ranching and miners want to do mine and and how mm-hmm. like they make this point that some they definitely paint a picture that they are not. Receiving a benefit from any of the parks being near them and and it is good to hear that. That's not the actual. That's not the actual truth
0: Well, it's a matter of perspective yeah. um, and, and I think that if you simply refuse to uh, Adapt and change you're gonna change is gonna adapt and change around you uh, right. and, and if you're not a part of it, uh, you're just You know, I, I don't want to use the phrase, you know ignorant of what's going on, but you you are ignoring uh, the reality of the, uh, the economy that's happening, it's shaping the world. It's not just shaping Southern Utah or s- big cities or here in the United States, it's, it's happening worldwide. Uh, and the economies shift and, and move, and we simply are no longer beholden to an extractive resource industry. We once were, we simply are not anymore. And it's, uh, it's the people who will grasp that um, opportunity to you know grab onto those dollars that are coming through the town because they are coming and if you are resistant to those uh to provide those services and if you don't respect people who are coming through with their big wallet and you won't capture that you're going to miss out and the person down the road who builds the new hotel or the new restaurant or the new you know accounting office uh will thrive and you won't uh and so uh i say this as uh a lifelong Utah with roots in those industries. Uh, my grandfather on my dad's side was a coal miner. Uh, my grandfather on my mom's side was a public ranch sheep herder. Um, and uh, I know uh, times change. Uh, their kids didn't do those things. And uh, they've moved on. And now they're uh, doing things like what I do. <laughs> um, you know, And that's advocacy for public lands and, and conservation. And so um, I think that it's, it's just merely... Um, it's it's not so simple as to say it's coal or extraction and or an oil and gas versus conservation because the two do coexist. Um, there are many places that have already been uh, mined and drilled for oil uh, that no longer qualify as wildlands that my organization is interested in uh, making as uh, designated wilderness areas, for example. Um, and there are places where, uh, getting back to San Juan County. Um, these things coexist, and and I'm specifically talking about, uh, in the Bears Ears National Monument, uh, there really aren't any oil and gas, uh, reserve to speak of. Uh, if there would have been, they would have been drilled a long time ago. Uh, the fact is that the boundaries were drawn for the monument well outside where those resources are. And in fact, when President Obama designated this monument, he specifically drew out of the monument. A big swath of land right through the middle of it, the what of what the Native uh, tribes were asking for um, to be designated in their proposal as a monument. He drew out a big swath of land uh, as an exception for uranium mining. So uranium, we think, oh, do they still do that in Utah? <laughs> like, well, not really. But that we do have a mill. We have one of the only operating mills uh, in the country here that mills uranium uh, and uh, sells it off to power plants. Uh, As a fuel source, so that was actually carved out of Bears Ears National Monument It's not in the monument uh, For the possible future expansion of a small mine that is down in that area And uh, I mean those are the kind of exceptions that were made in other words President Obama went out of his way to make this monument according to the boundaries that the Utah politicians were willing to live with and so he didn't consider the, their now thoughts. now after the fact. They want it. They want it gone completely.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, of course. They make it sound like he didn't consider the thoughts at all.
2: I know, I know. Mm. It's in, it's mildly infuriating. Well,
0: you know, on, <laughs> on that note, that's interesting that you say that because um, when uh, the last Secretary of Interior came to Utah to seek public comment on Bears Ears, which was last July, um, Sally Jewell, the Interior Secretary, called for a uh, an open public hearing on barriers right? yeah, down in Bluff um, last July and um, 1500 people showed up.
2: Yeah, I went, <laughs> it, it was hot.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a day of 104 degrees. And um, what was interesting was that um, she accepted opinion from everybody from the San Juan County Commissioners who were very opposed to a monument to people like you and me who went right. down to voice our concerns. And she listened until... There was nobody else that wanted to comment. Uh, Extended and, it. Like, yeah. It
2: was supposed to be done after. Yeah, it was so like it's supposed to be a
0: couple hours, and it ended up being like four hours long, yeah, five long... hours. It was a big meeting. It was hot. People were tired at the end. Um, they set up a special tent outside just so people could I get was. some shade. Um, <laughs> and the, contrast that with uh, Secretary Interior Zinke's trip to Utah over the last few days um... there was no opportunity for public hearings uh... there was no public comment accepted um, in fact what they've done now is now that he's left the state is they have designed a special website where you can go and submit your comments about Bears Ears, and your window of opportunity is 15 days. <laughs> uh, and uh, unlike the several-year comment period that the Obama administration offered, um, we're limited to 15 days to somebody that has a computer
2: right. uh, to be Internet able to submit access. those
0: comments. And what that's why I say that is uh, a large portion of San Juan County residents who, of course, this administration is weighing the comments more in their favor, um, a large portion is on the Navajo Reservation, south of the San Juan River, without electricity, with very little access to uh, make these comments, and so it's 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 been made very difficult for these natives to you know provide their input and uh, if they want local input they should go there and of course Mm -hmm. Secretary Zinke didn't bother to go by the reservation and ask what their opinions were he stuck to the uh, towns and the trailheads where he could fly around in three Blackhawk helicopters with (laughs) Orrin Hatch and Gary Herbert and Rob Bishop and Mike Noel and And Mike Noel (laughs) yeah Um, so you know it wasn't really uh, this kind of the 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 feign public comment period
2: So I think, worst-case scenario, what happens if Bears Ears is rescinded? Like, what's the game plan?
0: Well, I think what's going to happen is that uh, they're going to get sued. Uh, They'll find themselves in some legal hot water because this has never been tried before. There is no provision in the Antiquities Act of 1906, which is the mechanism upon which presidents can make national monuments to protect cultural, scenic, and scientific values of the United States. Um, There's no mechanism in the antiquities act to rescind or take away national monuments and there's only small precedent for adjusting the boundaries afterwards so to completely take it away or to do major cuts like it, it, what it appears they're going to do um, they're going to find themselves in some legal hot water because the tribes have vowed to sue uh, over this uh, provision that's the bears ears intertribal coalition um, and backed by you know many uh, tribes across the country uh, and so will the conservation organizations as well who worked so hard to uh, To get this monument in place in the first place.
3: I Hope that the tribes are able to do what they need to do I just I have little faith in this administration's ability to respect even like Native Americans American Indians claims to land period or treaties that we've signed with them and ratified and like committed ourselves to not a great
2: track record there but i i mean i feel like during this administration the one of the biggest things giving me hope is the court system (laughs) i mean there's yeah i I, i'll spare you my my soapbox spiel there but i mean that gives me some comfort that there's
0: an avenue towards yes success yes that's the word (laughs) yeah hopefully um you know there's always the the theory of course that a uh that a, a Supreme court that, uh, is now, um, you know, not necessarily a progressive court. Right. Um, it's a pretty conservative court, you know, really what they would do, um, which goes to show the importance of what happened, uh, when justice Scalia passed away in February of 2016, right. uh, and the Republican majority in the Senate refused to even give him a, uh, give the new, the Obama, uh, uh,
2: Merrick Garland. Yeah, Merrick
0: Garland um, uh, even refused to give him a hearing. Right. Uh, so that move uh, seems to have paid off for them when they uh, got Senator Hatch's guy, uh, John <laughs> Gorsuch, in as a Supreme Court justice now. So it really it's hard to say what will happen, whether it will even get to the Supreme Court, is, you know, of course uh, another matter or, right. or how long it would tend to uh, it would take for this issue to wend its way up to the Supreme Court if it, if it does go that far. So... Um, that's uh, to, be, to be seen. So
2: We'll have to just stay tuned, I guess. Yeah. But I, I did have another question. Um, during my internship, the public lands initiative was the hot topic, and I got to go to legislative meetings to talk about the PLI with different different members of Congress, or, well, their staff anyway. Um, and so this was Representative Rob Bishop's attempt to find compromise and go on a county-by-county county level to, to figure out how to handle Utah's public lands. Is that a good, is that an okay description?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, that's an okay description. I think the, <laughs> the problem comes when, in the word compromise.
2: Right. Um,
0: you know, and I think that, that what happened was, uh, you know, we, we're we interested in um, resolving these issues. I mean, we've been advocates for protecting public lands for a long time now. And, you know, we would like to see them resolved, right? really. I mean, that's what we're here for. I mean, I'd, I'd like to be worked out of a job that's quite ideal, honest. right? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, but but the reality is that when we sat down at the table, we approached it as a uh, as a real negotiation. Um, we came to the table with a uh, right out of the chute with a a compromise mm-hmm. uh, that was coming off of our proposal that we've been looking for for thirty years now, uh, and really. Were the first group to come and come out to the negotiations by backing off of our longstanding position and showing an opportunity, uh, a willingness to compromise. Mm-hmm. What we didn't see in the long run was the compromise from the county commissioners, who Congressman Bishop really was essentially representing in this, right. supposed to be representing the congressional offices, but really. Um, allowed the counties to uh, to manipulate the process in their favor. And I say that really with some specific evidence, and that is that the conservation community, the representatives' offices, uh, and I'm speaking about Representative Chaffetz, Representative Bishop, Senator Hatch, Senator Lee, I mean, the whole delegation and the governor's office um, and the county commissioners uh, up in small Daggett County, up in the northeastern part of our state, um we're the first counties uh, in October of 2014 to uh, to come to an agreement, to come to a real um, compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't get everything that we wanted. Uh, the uh, the delegation didn't get everything that they wanted. The county commissioners didn't. But we agreed to shake hands, and we had a press conference up there where the governor spoke and said, uh, this is a model uh, mm-hmm. agreement for what we should be doing in all the other counties in Utah, and we should take what we've accomplished here in Daggett County and— move forward Uh, it was only a month or two after that where congressman bishop allowed the county to backpedal and rather than hold the county's feet to the agreement and say hey look we all shook hands with the governor Um, we're making headway here this is the first step Um, rather than tell the county commissioners that they needed to stick with the bargain Mm -hmm. uh, congressman bishop instead said well the county commissioners are in charge here they can come or go as they please and with that step uh, all faith was lost in, from all sides to mm-hmm. being able to come to the table if if after agreement was made that one party could simply unilaterally walk away from it. And that was kind of the uh, initial uh, backstepping and downsliding of the whole process. And the process right. kind of fell apart from there because quickly after that, it was very clear that the there was no reason for us to come to the table if the agreements that we made were going to be backed out of unilaterally. Right. Right. And... Um, uh, the rest of the counties really never did come to the table with, with their proposals. Some did. Summit County was uh, one that really came to the table with a proposal to expand the Uintas Wilderness. Um, Grand County actually had an open public process down around Moab that resulted in a uh, a pretty fair compromise. Um, not everybody got everything that they wanted there. Um, but uh, the rest of the county, as the process kind of fell apart in and. and what really ended up happening was Congressman Bishop was unable to move the bill through the Congress. Right. Uh, even his own party, uh, Speaker Paul Ryan uh, said, uh, I'm not even gonna give this floor time. And so given every opportunity to pass their bill with four years to go uh, to work on it, um, the Utah politicians just utterly failed. Uh, and it was what con- what President Obama was asking for them. He asked them, right. "Hey." give a bill. I'm going to give you an opportunity to solve this the Utah way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll let you, you Utah politicians, figure this all out. You guys hammer out an agreement with the conservation community, with all sides, um, and come to the table with something that I can sign. Mm -hmm. Give me a bill, he said. And uh, the Utah politicians could not do that. Uh, And they couldn't do it because they couldn't even hold their own word on this. And so with that, um, the Utah politicians knew that the alternative would be the president making a national monument. And in this case, uh, he made Ears national monument to resolve these issues, at least in one county, mm-hmm. uh, down in San Juan County. So, um, who knows, uh, the Public Lands Initiative is kind of dead on the vine right now. We don't know where it's going, if it's gonna go, be revived at mm-hmm. all, it could be. Uh, we don't know. Uh, Congressman Bishop is still the chair of the House Resources Committee. He could reintroduce it. Uh, We don't know. Um, If it's anything like it was in the last rendition, uh, we would oppose it. Um, But uh, hopefully um, they could come up with something that all sides could agree on. I don't know how far that hope goes, but uh, (laughs) evidence so far is that uh, they're going to want to continue to have their way or the highway.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think it's good to talk about the PLI because I think it also kind of shows what a process it's been. Um, I think the term Midnight Monument has been thrown out a lot yeah. recent, not as much recently, but um, immediately following the Bears Ears designation. And I, I feel like our our local delegate or our delegation was claiming, you know, that there was no local input hmm. and that their needs weren't considered. But when you consider this public lands initiative, I think that that kind of says otherwise because it reflects that there was a, There was an opportunity there, an opportunity for conversation. Um, And so that's why I like to bring it up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, the the term Midnight Monument is is really just hyperbole. Right. Um, There was a lot of public input into the Public Lands Initiative, um, at least as far as, um, you know, some of the local counties held a a full process. Many counties did not.
2: Uh, So I kind of want to pick your brain just a little bit about Grand Staircase, and since that's... Being considered at the moment, too. Um, are Isua is doing what sort of efforts is Isua taking to make sure that that stays protected?
0: Well, one of the main things that we're doing is uh, helping to, uh, you know, work with some of the local business owners and communities down around the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. To give them a voice in uh, showing their support for the monument and what it's done locally, mm-hmm. uh, business owners have rallied in a, in a major way here recently. Um, in fact, they they tried the Escalante Chamber of Commerce tried to get a uh, some some face time with uh, Secretary Zinke while he was in town, uh, but he was uh, their letter was rejected. <laughs> um, so you'd think that local business owners would be a concern for. Uh, the delegation and for the secretary to come and get some sort of right. idea about what's, what reality is down there for the in economy. terms of yeah what, what how families are living now uh, and the tremendous value that the monument has brought to these economies, but uh, refused to listen to them. So uh, they are continuing to try. Um, they held a big rally down in Kanab yesterday. Uh, business owners from across the region uh, rallied in, uh, in one of the town parks there in, in Kanab, to uh, To raise their voice about um, that, don't do this to our monument. Right. Um, uh, there are a lot of other values that um, that are that you can see really clearly in the national monument. Uh, the paleontological values of the Grand Staircase Escalante uh, is tremendous. Uh, up here at the Museum of Natural History in uh, in Salt Lake City, there's uh, you know wondrous displays of new dinosaurs that they've found. Um, clearly, as a result of this being a protected area. Protected for its scientific values. I mean, that's exactly what it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. So it's drawn attention to this area as a scientific treasure trove, and um, it's those kind of values that are lost in the shuffle when, uh, frankly, uh, you know, state representative Mike Noel uh, leads the secretary of interior uh, around the area and shows him a coal seam as, well, that's the value oh, that I want to see. Um, so you I mean you weigh those two things and uh, you weigh the value of the coal. An industry in this country that is, this frankly on the uh, on the downside, um, it's simply uneconomical to mine the coal, ship it, burn it, uh, and we can get into the whole conversation about you know the the dangers of climate change and yeah. fossil fuel <laughs> development uh, as a result of the burning the coal. So, but just the um, industry itself just doesn't make a lot of sense. Period, well, and
2: not in that area because yeah. the, there's, I mean, it's it's a rural area. You'd have to build the infrastructure to.
0: Yeah, it's so remote um, out there that, uh, and there there is no infrastructure yeah. at all. It would have to all be brought in, and uh, at what at what cost? I think is the big question. And, Of course, we talk about the climate cost. We talk about the um, you know just the um, the ruining of uh, an incredibly scenic place um, to build infrastructure that would last for a very short period of time in in the big picture. Whereas. The conservation of a place like this, uh, the ongoing uh, benefits to science, the ongoing benefits to the the local economy from bringing people in worldwide who want to see these treasures, uh, those are the sorts of things that need to be weighed. So, you know, our concern with uh, Grand Staircase Escalante is again, it would set a horrible precedent if we were to try to rescind or reduce the size of these monuments. Um, the values that the size protects uh, is uh, is really the point of these monuments? Right. And why they are big? Uh, they should be much bigger to <laughs> to encompass the scenic values and the the um, the vistas and the scientific values that these places have. Contiguous land, yeah. Let alone the cultural values uh, and just the the wild lands themselves. Uh, we don't have very many places like this left in the country, and we need them.
2: I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. I got to go on. I I know I was telling you about this, but I got to go on um, an AP environmental field trip. That's why I was out of town for the last podcast recording is because I was actually down with a whole bunch of high schoolers in that area. Um, So it was really cool to get to talk about these sorts of issues to these students while it's happening yeah
0: and, and they get it right i mean yeah, so totally. they're, they're the generation that sees the worldwide climate change uh that sees these as the the hottest years on records uh i mean they understand why uh, and they understand w- what it takes to to make the change and they their generation your generation <laughs> is the change um that we that we need and uh, i'm really thankful to see um the youth of America really rising up and saying and taking control and taking charge and saying we need to address these issues we need to protect our wild places that remain uh frankly we're lucky to be having this conversation here in Utah yeah. uh, they're not having this conversation in the midwest for right. example and right. it's because they don't have public lands and we're blessed with public lands we shouldn't use we shouldn't call our public lands a uh uh, a bad thing. They're a really good thing for us, um, and they're good because of the uh, the opportunity to escape. They're good for the, uh, for the environment. They're good for habitat. Uh, they're good for um, their own value. They have value in and of themselves, not anything that we can put on it as a place for recreation or a place for enjoyment. Um, these are places that have intrinsic values, and it's that wildness that my organization, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, speaks to.
2: Well, great. So, how how can people get involved? I think, I I know I'm overwhelmed with a lot of stuff going on in the world right now, um, and so I think, I mean, I tend to I tend to want to go to these places, you know, to to kind of remind myself why I fight for them. Um, but what else can people do? How can they get involved?
0: Well, I think immediately. Um, People can get involved in the 15-day comment period that the uh, Department of Interior has opened up on Bears Ears. Uh, you really need to make a comment, and you would write your comment. The, uh, the link to this website where they're gathering comments is uh, going out on SUA's Facebook page, and email alert. Uh, as I speak right now, we're putting it out. Uh, it was just opened up this morning. And so uh, we'll be able to, at least through our group, be able to tell people where to go. But uh, if you're on uh, associated with any of the environmental organizations, I'm sure that Alliance for a Better Utah as well uh, will pick up the links oh, yeah. uh, and share all this information. Uh, we need as many comments as can possibly be uh, gathered. The goal nationally, uh, I was, uh, I'm part of some conservation group uh, conversations on this. Um, is uh, the goal is to get a million comments on Bears Ears and it starts here at home. It starts one person at a time making a comment, typing that in. You've got five thousand characters. That's <laughs> three big paragraphs you can write. That's at least what mine were when I put mine in. <laughs> it's this a lot more morning. than Twitter. <laughs> use yeah, small yeah. words so yeah. you can understand <laughs> it. Um and so uh, you know, I would I guess the answer to your question is one thing at a time. Uh take an action let it build into another action. Uh, And slowly, one person at a time, we're gonna make the difference. Uh, That's what it takes, that's what it took to build this country, that's what it takes to keep our wildlands wild. And um, one step at a time, start small, build up, and uh, we will get to where we want to go. Um, Our mission is to protect these wild places in Utah, and we do it one person at a time, and through conversations like this. So um, we really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to speak to your audience with Alliance oh, for Better Utah, and um, we'll continue to work together.
2: Great. Well, thanks, yeah. for, thanks for coming, Dave, and taking time out of your busy schedule. I know.
0: Yeah, that was awesome.
3: <laughs>
2: it's busy right now.
0: Thanks for
3: having us. I feel oh, yeah. invigorated after that last little speech. <laughs> there. I
2: know. No, that's why we do it. It's so important. Um, but I guess, I guess I'll wrap it up now officially. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And if you want more information, you can follow Alliance for a Better Utah on Facebook uh, and on Twitter. We're at Better Utah. Um, Share this with your friends because we want to get people listening and it's a lot of fun for us to do. Um, And it's great to have great guests like Dave. So I think that's it. And hopefully Chase will be around next time. And that'll do it.